Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Josh Gonzalez. Good morning. Happy Sabbath, church family. It's a blessing to be with you this morning to share the Word of God. I'm excited about the sermon and I'm also excited about the fact that this month I get to preach twice. Uh, So I'm actually going to be doing a two-part series with you starting today and it's entitled Your Calling. I was going to uh, title it Our Calling uh, because of the fact that, you know, every single one of us have a calling, but I wanted to call it Your Calling because I wanted to make it personal. I want us to be able to really think about the specific, unique and personal calling that God has for each and every one of us as individuals um, after listening to these presentations. So I hope that they are a blessing to you. And I want to begin today with a word of prayer. So I invite you to bow your heads with me and let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we are grateful once again to have this privilege to open your word so that we can study, Lord, and hear it, but more than anything, Lord, so that it may speak to our hearts and draw us closer to you. Father God, we come before you not because we are worthy, but because of the fact that we're not worthy. We ask for your help, Lord God, because of the fact that we need you. And so we pray and ask, Lord, please do something to us, Lord. Don't allow us to listen to this message this morning and walk away from it the same way as we were before we started listening. And so, Lord, please do something to touch our hearts. We ask and pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So your calling. This is part one. And what I'm actually going to do is I'm going to be referring back to the sermon that I preached, uh, the last sermon that I preached that looked at the story of the miracle where Jesus called Peter, his brother Andrew, and also ended up calling uh, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. And it was really the calling of the first disciples. And we're going to actually go back to that story today and also in a fortnight from now. And we're going to extract some more amazing lessons from those stories for us. But for now, what I would like you to do is turn in your Bibles with me to 2 Timothy 1.9. And I want to read a verse that the Apostle Paul wrote here in 2 Timothy 1.9, where the Bible says, For God saved us. And called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from before the beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. Now, this is a powerful verse. It's packed full of so much theology and so many amazing lessons that we can get from it. But I want us just to focus on a few things here. One, the fact that the Bible says that God saved us. Now, one of the things that we understand as Christians is the need that we have of Jesus as our Savior. It is because we are sinful. We are born with a sinful nature. We have committed sin. We are guilty of sin. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death and we need to be saved from that. And the death of Jesus Christ does that. His blood atones for our sin. And there is nothing we can do to do that in and of ourselves. And so we understand that God saved us. And the Bible tells us that the way that that happened was by sending his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever believes will be saved. 
will not perish, but have eternal life. And that's, of course, taken from John 3.16. But this verse is interesting because it says God didn't just save us, but he called us to live a holy life. And so we understand that it's not just the fact that God saved us from sin, but he also then empowers us to live a different life. God wants us to have a better life. And the Bible says here through the Apostle Paul that we've been called to live a holy life. And then then it says that he didn't do this because we deserved it, but because it was his plan from the beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. Now, you know, those of us that are close to the Lord, we have an understanding that everything God has done for us and continues to do for us is nothing that we in any way, shape or form deserve. It is something that he has done out of his love and it is through his grace. And the fact that he saved us and called us to something better, to live a better life really reveals that grace, right? Because not only do we not deserve the salvation, but then we don't also deserve his continual work in us because God is working through us. He is working through us every single day. We understand that sanctification, which is the process from going from the old person to the new person in in Christ, is something that happens for all of our life until the day that we die. He continues to work in us to help us, to change us, to mold us, and to make us more like Him. And so I wanted to bring that verse out because it reveals the fact that each and every one of us have been called. At least for now, we understand that that calling is to live a holy life. And when we think about holy life, we really need to think about it in the text, the context of a life different to the one that we were living before we met Jesus Christ. I want to take you now to 1 Peter 2.9. And 1 Peter 2.9 reveals something interesting as well. And some of you may know this verse off by heart. It says, but you are not like that for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful lights. Now, I like this verse because it is revealing something else that's very important for us to know and understand is the fact that we have been chosen by God. Now, to understand how being chosen works, we need to really understand it in context because you may be aware that there are a number of Christians out there, uh, some of our brothers and sisters that have a very different understanding than we do with regards to what it means to be chosen. So you have uh, some of our brethren out there that are of the Calvinistic mindset and their understanding of being chosen is that we had nothing to do with being chosen, that this was something that God preordained and from the very beginning God had already chosen who was saved and he had also chosen who would be lost. Um, That for me personally is is quite a a terrible um, representation of the character of God because to, to think that God chose so many people, millions probably, to, to be lost. And their understanding as well of what happens after you die is eternal torment. 
And so to understand and think that God would have chosen so many people that he created to end up suffering in eternity as they believe happens, uh, you know, in hell is really a horrible thought and something that I believe really does a lot of damage to the character of God. So I praise God that we have a, a different and better understanding of these things. But when it says that you are chosen, you know, the Bible says very clearly that God sent his only son into the world that whoever believes shall not perish, but have eternal life. And so, you know, we are presented at times in our life with facts that we either choose to follow or we choose to ignore. We are presented with situations that we either choose to run with or we choose to leave behind. And we know that God has shown us his goodness. He has shown us his grace. He has revealed his love to us. And we have made a decision to follow him, not because of anything that's good or special in us, but because of what he has done for us. And the Bible says that when we are these people that have made that decision to give our lives to Christ and to make a commitment to live for him, we become chosen people, royal, a royal priesthood, the Bible says, a holy nation. Now, it's interesting because here's that word holy again. Now, there's nothing holy in us. We, in fact, are the very opposite of holy. But it is when Christ comes into our hearts, when Christ comes into our lives and we surrender to him that his righteousness is then lived out through us and that is how we become recognized as being holy i love that it says that we are god's very own possession and it says as a result we can show others the goodness of god because God called us out of the darkness and into his marvelous light, we are then to go and reveal to others what God has done for us. And in the process of doing that, help others that are in that darkness as well also come in to that marvelous light. And so we've seen a couple of things already. And we're going to bring this out even more now in a, in a moment, because I believe that the Bible makes it clear that every single one of us have been called. We've all been called, but called to what? So what we've seen just so far in these two verses is one, that we've been saved, two, that we've been chosen, and three, that we've been called. But called for what or to what? And I think that there are two things that really we need to understand as Christians that we've being called to. And when I say we've been called, I mean every single one of us. Every single one of us has a calling on our life. And you know what? Sometimes we struggle with this. Sometimes we struggle with the fact that we've been called for different reasons. Maybe we struggle with the fact that we've been called because we just feel so unworthy and undeserving of any kind of calling from God on us in our lives. And to be honest, I can relate to that because I know exactly what it feels like to feel so unworthy and so undeserving and at the same time struggling with the fact that I know the Bible makes it clear to me that I have been called by God. Some of us struggle with the calling that God has placed on us because we think that the calling is not really for us. It's more for the pastors. It's more for the evangelists. It's more for the preachers. 
It's more for the Bible workers. It's more for those that have an obvious calling to ministry in their life. And when we see people like that, that are so gifted in those areas, and we might think that we're not gifted or at least recognize that maybe we aren't gifted in those areas. Sometimes we struggle because then we struggle to understand what has God called us to do. Because for us, a lot of us, the only real calling um, that, that God can place on us that we think in our minds is this calling of you know, ministry in that sense. But one of the things that I found out is that ministry is so much deeper and goes so much further beyond than preaching, than teaching the Bible. And you know, as Adventists, sometimes we might struggle with that because we are traditionally known as people of the book and we know that God has called us to preach an end time message. And so for so many of us, ministry is wrapped up in this thought and idea of preaching. And yes, there is an element of preaching in ministry and in the calling that God has given each and every one of us. And I'm going to share that in a moment. But we need to understand that there are so many other ways in which God calls us. So this is something that was revealed to me uh, so clearly these last couple of years. As most of you know, I also pastor a church plant out in the Northern Beaches. And when we first got together, we started going through as a team, what were the different ministries that we were going to do? And at that church plant, we have a real focus on making people feel welcome and loved when they walk through that door. That is one of the greatest priorities for us at that church plant. And so one of the things I started to realize, you know, because I was the preacher, I was the one who was at the front and preaching the sermons, but I started to see the team working and I started to realize, you know what, that person that's at the door greeting someone and making someone feel welcome when they come to church, that is such an important ministry. The person that goes and prepares food for people to be able to enjoy and fellowship around after the church service is such an important ministry. The person that looks after the children, the person that looks after the ladies, the, the person that's encouraging the men, uh, the, the, the person that is just at church and sees that maybe you're down and comes to you and gives you some words of life and encouragement and lift you back up. All of these different things are so important, sometimes just as and even in some cases more important than the preaching itself. And we don't always understand that. And so when we hear that God has called us to something, we struggle with understanding what that's about. And so I'm hoping that I'm going to be able to just reveal a few things to you um, with regards to your calling today that might encourage you to, one, live the calling that God has placed on you, or two, even if you're unaware still of what that calling might be exactly, start actively praying and seeking God's guidance to show you what calling he has placed on your life, because I'm telling you, you have a calling. Now, I think that I, I believe that there are two things that the Bible reveals to us that we are called to two things. But within these two things, it encapsulates the whole Christian journey, experience and walk. So the first one comes from Second Peter 1. And 2 Peter 1, verse 10 to 11, the Bible says, and this goes off that verse that we read previously in 2 Timothy 1, 9, which says, God saved us and called us to live a holy life. 2 Peter 1, 10 and 11 says, So dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and 
chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, we need to be careful that we don't misinterpret and then misapply this verse in our walk because we could read this verse as saying, hey, if I work really hard, I'm going to somehow earn my entrance into heaven. And that's not what Peter is trying to encourage us to do. Peter is encouraging us to go back to understanding what God has done for us. Remember, we have been saved and called. So first of all, we need to understand and go back to what God has done for us. And then out of a love for him, not because we want to earn salvation, but because we want to honor him and we want to serve him and we want to be faithful to him. We are then to work hard to prove that we are really among those that God has called and chosen. What does that mean? It just basically means that we are to live our life in such a way that when people see us or interact with us, they can see that we are people who have been called and chosen by God, that we are children of the heavenly King. He says, do these things and then you will have a grand entrance and you will never fall away from your faith. That's what he means by you will never fall away. You will never stop walking with the Lord if you continue to live your life in a way, right, that proves to others that you're called and chosen. Now, sometimes again, we, you know, look, we're human beings and, you know, we, we need to be thankful that God is very patient with us because we mess up things a lot. You know, sometimes we do this, but we do it in the wrong way. We do it in a way where somehow because we are in the truth and we are part of God's remnant church and because we live a different life to you know, other people, maybe even in our family, our circle of friends, maybe even in the church, sometimes we like to kind of have this feeling of superiority that you know, we're better than others and we look down on others. Brothers and sisters, we can never, never afford to get caught up into that trap because that is not the spirit of Christ. That's the spirit of Satan, because what happens when we have that spirit is that then we start accusing others and pointing out sins. And the Bible says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Christ wasn't an accuser. Christ was the one that when a sinful person was laid out in front of him, he would turn around and say, I do not condemn you. So that's not what it's saying that we should do that. But what it is saying is that we should live our lives in a way that proves and we do this out of love for God that shows others that God has called us to a greater way of living. And when I mean greater, I mean a higher way. In other words, a way that is, you know, we live by faith. We live trusting in God. And so I also want to share Ephesians 4.1. And Ephesians 4.1 says, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. So here we have the Apostle Paul, and as he was writing to the church in Ephesus, he was writing as a prisoner, and he says, as a prisoner that is a prisoner for serving God, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. And he reminds the church in Ephesus, as Jesus is reminding the church here at Waitara this morning, that we have all been called by God and therefore we need to lead a life worthy of that calling. 
So the first thing that I believe the Bible makes clear, right? The first thing that I believe the Bible makes clear that we have all been called to is to live a Christian life, a real true Christian life, one that, as the Apostle Paul says, is a life worthy of our calling. Now, what does it mean to live a Christian life? You might say it's a righteous life. You might say it's a holy life, right? What does it mean to live this kind of life? Does it just mean that we are somehow completely separate from the world and we just always do the right thing? You know, like Pharisees, we pay our tithes, we keep the Sabbath, we have a whole list, checklist that we tick off and we don't mix and and, and we separate ourselves from the undesirables and we kind of live. Is that the, the life that God wants us to live? That's not what living a righteous and holy life means. What living a righteous and holy life means, one is... It means that we live a life where we are faithful to God in everything. Not just in keeping the commandments in the way that we would think about it um, referring to obedience. Because sometimes we get caught up in thinking that we've only been asked by God to obey and we, we think of the Ten Commandments, for example, and we get into a legalistic mindset. What God calls us to do is to live a life much more profound than that. So what am I getting at? Jesus said in summarizing the Ten Commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. He said that is the first and greatest commandment. He said the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So living a righteous life, living a holy life, a proper Christian life, it's not just about doing the right thing when it comes to the commandments uh, in in the kind of legalistic way. It means living a life where you basically follow the example of Christ. What is that? It is putting others first. It is treating people with kindness kindness with love and respect. It is going out and seeing how you can help those in your community. It is ministering to the needs of those around you. This is the life that we have been called to live. And as we do that, we also are faithful to God. We keep His commandments. We try to do the best that we can in obeying Him. And if we fall and mess up, We remember that God is full of mercy and grace and we come back to the Lord. We ask for forgiveness. We repent from what we've done and we continue to walk with Him. This is the life that God has called us to live. You know, it reminds me of when Jesus said that we are a light and we need to let that light shine, right? Jesus tells us that the light cannot be hidden. It has to be held up high so that it can shine light on everyone else. So that is, that is one thing that I wanted to share with you this morning that, that we've been called. It means we've been called to live a Christian life and that means to live a Christian life in every sense of the word. Not just in being strict commandment keepers, but in being strict lovers of others, in being strict helpers of the needy, in being strict, you know, doing everything that we can to show the love of Jesus to everyone that we come into contact with. That's what we've been called to do. So when you're at your workplace, be Jesus at your workplace. When you're at a family meeting, be Jesus at a family meeting. When you're out in the community, be Jesus in the community. We are called to be the hands and feet of Christ everywhere we go and to live out his example 
in the right way. Now, the other thing that we've been called to do, and again, this comes from what, it was, uh, what we, we shared there earlier in 1 Peter 2.9. Remember that it said, as a result of the fact that we've been chosen, that we can show the goodness of God to other people. So how do we do that? We do that by living the Christian life, but we also do that by, by preaching the gospel. Now, when I say preach the gospel, most of us think maybe to what I'm doing right now, standing in a pulpit and preaching. But there's a, there's a really powerful quote once that I read from Ellen White where she basically said, I'm paraphrasing, that the greatest sermon that we can ever give to anyone, the most powerful sermon we can ever preach, it's not by what we say, but it's by how we act. It's by what we do. It's by how we live. And by doing that, we preach a powerful sermon to people that we are children of God. Now, I want to share a couple of verses with you. You know, Mark 16, 15, uh, which says, And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, we also have something similar in Matthew 28. And Matthew 28 is where we find the great commission. And in Matthew 28, we get a bit more context in it. Starting at verse 16, the Bible says, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. It's just like us right now, you know. I'm speaking about the fact that you've been called. And I know that there are some of you listening that are maybe doubting a little bit as well. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And look what he says at the end. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. We need to really look at what Jesus is saying here. Because for most of us, what we focus on is the go. Go and preach. Go and make disciples. Go and baptize. Go and teach them to observe all things. We really focus on that, but we don't always focus on what comes just before it and what comes just after it. Because before Jesus even tells them to go and do this, he lets them know and he reminds them that all authority has been given to him in heaven and on this earth. What are we doing on this earth? We are building the kingdom of God here on this earth. And it's a kingdom that's going to transcend this earth into the new earth, which is heaven. And so what we do here affects what happens here and what will happen in heaven. But we need to understand that the authority to do these things has been given to Jesus. He has all the authority. And what does that mean? And why is he mentioning it? Because he's letting his disciples know that what he is telling them to do, the authority has been given to him for that to be able to be done. And then after he tells them what to do, he tells them and reminds them again at the end that he is with them the whole way through. In other words, what's Jesus really saying? He's saying, look, I'm giving you this commission and it's a big commission. It's a big task, but I want you to know a few things. One, 
Don't forget that the authority to do this work has been given to me. And remember, Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. If you abide in me, you bear much fruit. He says, without me, you can do nothing. So Jesus is saying, the authority has been given to me. But if you remain connected to me, that authority goes from me into you. And then he reminds us, I'm going to be right there by your side the whole way through. And so let's not get caught up so much in what God asks us to do. Let's get caught up in the fact that God is telling us that he is going to give us the power, the authority, the wisdom, everything that we need to do this work. It's going to come from him. And if we're connected to him, we receive that too. And he is going to be with us every single step of the way. So when God calls you to go and preach, don't get caught up with what am I going to say? How am I going to do it? I don't know so much. Get caught up in the fact that the one who's calling you to go is going to work through you, speak through you, do amazing things through you if you trust him and remain connected to him. And he's going to be with you every step of the way. Every step of the way. So these are the two things that we've all been called to do. We've been called to live a Christian life, a life worthy of the calling that God has given us. We have been called to go and preach the gospel. Now, preaching, again, it's, by, it's not just by what you say, it's by what you do. Sometimes practicing what is preached is more powerful than preaching. The world is desperate for more Christians that practice what they preach. I hope someone listening said amen to that because it's true. But we don't need to go to Avondale or Amazing Facts Bible College or, you know, It Is Written or any of these other things. We don't need to go through all of those things to be able to go out into this world and share the love of Christ with people. One of the most powerful witnesses that was given in, in the Bible is from the woman who was caught, uh, sorry, the woman at the well. Remember the story of the Samaritan woman at the well? The Bible says that after Jesus had offered her the living water, she then went back to her hometown and told everyone about what Christ had said to her and what he had done uh, in her life. All she was sharing was her testimony. She hadn't gone to some fancy Bible college to learn all these things. She only had what Christ had done for her in her life. And that alone ended up causing for pretty much all the people back in her hometown to come to Jesus and to end up believing and following Christ. Why? Because Christ had the authority. And she got that from him. And she got the power from him. And he was with her just like he is with us. Now, I'm going to finish up because one of the things that I really wanted to do today was I wanted to look at this idea of your calling and also look at it in the context of an understanding, a proper understanding of righteousness by faith. And so what I want to do is I want to quickly go back to the story we looked at in the previous sermon. Last sermon, I preached Luke chapter 5. I'm going to go through this story quickly. Um, if you want to get... Um, you know, if you want to, to, to hear a, a detailed sermon of this story and all the amazing lessons that we find in this story, please go back and see the previous sermon. Um, but I'm just going to go quickly through that now. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to look at that same story, but look at it in the context of the account of Matthew. 
in Matthew chapter 4. But Luke chapter 5, we read this. And why am I sharing this is because we're looking at our calling today. And this is when Jesus called the very first disciples in the, in, in the New Testament. Luke 5, it starts off saying, So it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled the boat so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. This is I love this story. I can go back to this story so many times. Um, but again, I, I can get caught up in this story. And, and again, I just encourage you to go back to the previous sermons that I preached that you'll find here on the Waitara um, SDA Church YouTube page uh, for, a, for a good Bible study and, and sermon on that. But um, this is the story of when the first disciples were called. Now, the one thing that I do want to come back to is that Jesus did a miracle before calling these men. In other words, Jesus revealed to them who he was and what he was able to do. And when they had seen that and they had recognized that in the context of the fact that he was holy, that's why Peter says, depart from me for I am a sinful man. They saw that he was worthy to be followed. They saw that he was able to do that which they were not able to do. And then they followed him. They forsook everything and they followed him. Now, we need to go back to that when we look at our calling. We need to go back to the fact that we are not following just anyone. We are not following any ordinary person. We are following the Christ, the Son of the living God. He is the savior of this world, and he has the power and he has the authority to do everything and anything that we are not able to do. What's impossible for man, the Bible says, is possible for God. So this is when Christ called the first disciples. Now, let me just go to Matthew chapter four. And there's a couple of things I want to read there before we wrap up. Matthew chapter four, verse 18 to 22. This is the same story, but there's something different. Matthew puts something different in the story that is so profound. Because all we saw in Luke, right? In Luke, we saw that Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. And then they uh, brought their boats to land. They forsook all and they followed him. But Matthew points out something so profound that Jesus says here in chapter 4, verse 18. In 18, the Bible says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, 
and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Now, Matthew doesn't go into the whole story about Jesus telling them to throw the net in and then them catching more fish that they could have ever imagined. He doesn't go into that. But he says this in verse 19, that Jesus says to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The Bible says that at that moment, they immediately left their nets and followed him. You will notice that I tend to come back to this verse a lot. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 19. The reason why I like to come back to this verse a lot is because in this verse, we see a great definition, a great understanding, a great insight into what righteousness by faith is. And I want to look at righteousness by faith in the context of our calling right now. Because you see, when Jesus says to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. This fishers of men thing that Jesus wants to do with them, this fishers of men thing that Jesus wants to do with us, is our calling. That's what God is calling us to do and to be. To be a fisher of men in its full context is to live the Christian life, and it's to be someone that preaches the gospel. The two things that we've seen today are what, really our calling is all about. But you see, again, we can get so caught up in the fishers of men part. How am I going to be a fisher of men? How can I be a fisher of men? Right? I don't know enough or I'm not worthy or I'm all of these things that we start to, you know, come up with. And what we forget is that Jesus is not telling these men, just like Jesus is not telling us, to go and become fishers of men. Jesus isn't calling you to go and be a fisher of men. Jesus is calling you to do something else. And he says it so clearly. He says to them, verse 19, follow me. That's all Jesus asks of them. Look at the words in this verse. All Jesus asks of them is to follow him because he says, follow me and I, I will make you a fisher of men. This being a fisher of men, this living a life worthy of our calling, it's not something that we actually do. It's something that God does through us. All that God is calling us to do is to follow Him. If we follow Him, if we put our trust in Him, if we abide in Him, He will do through us what we cannot do for ourselves. This is the very essence of righteousness by faith. Ellen White puts it like this. She says, righteousness by faith is this. It is the laying of the glory of man into the dust and God doing through him that which he is not able to do for himself. Stop getting caught up in the fact that you have a calling and, and you're stressing out because you're not worthy of that calling. Jesus knows. Do you think Peter and, and, and Andrew and James and John, you think all these men were worthy of the calling that God, that Jesus placed on their life that day? They were not. And Jesus knew that. Sometimes we don't even stop to realize that the calling itself that God has placed on our, on our lives is what is ultimately going to save us. I remember once hearing a powerful uh, sermon from a, a, a great preacher from, from the U.S., uh, Pastor Henry Wright. I don't know if you guys have heard him. I would recommend and encourage anyone to go and listen to his sermons on YouTube. Pastor Henry Wright, one of my favorite preachers. He was preaching this sermon called War Stories. 
that great sermon. Anyways, in that sermon, he brings out the fact of how God called men that were just, they had issues and they had problems and they had weaknesses and they were messed up and all of these things. And he brings all of this out into this amazing context that reveals that sometimes for some of us, the way that God ultimately saves us is by calling us. And when I heard that, you don't understand how that impacted me. Because ever since God called me, there have been moments in my walk and in my calling and in my ministry where I have really struggled with my ministry and my calling. Where I have had to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, are you sure you got the right guy here? How are you calling me to this work? I am so messed up still. I, I, I'm imperfect. I, I'm a sinful person. I have struggles and weaknesses. Like, how have you called me? And then when this pastor laid it out, it became so clear that he called me and through that calling is his plan to save me to sanctify me through that calling. You know why? Because the calling that God has placed on my life, it keeps me 100% dependent on Him. If I didn't have this calling in my life, I wouldn't go down on my knees and come to the Lord the way that I do every single day, every single week. So God knows what he's doing. He knows your struggles and your weaknesses and your issues. He wants to work all that out. He wants to work in and through you and sort that stuff out. But God doesn't say to you, hey, go sort yourself out first and then come to me. God says, follow me and let me do through you what you cannot do for yourself. God is calling us to something great. And many of us have struggled with making the decision to fully commit our lives to Him because of things we have discussed already here this morning. And I pray and hope that now you are realizing that you need to let all those things go because God doesn't care about that. All that God cares about is, will you trust me? Will you follow me? Will you abide in me? Will you let me do through you what you cannot do for yourself. Will you let me? I have this last scripture that I want to share with you in Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, 1. The Bible says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. This, this verse right here, for me, it's very challenging if we just leave it at verse 1 in Hebrews 12. Because in verse 1, Paul is making it clear. He's saying, look, we all have a race that we're running. What is that race? What is the race that he says we need to run with endurance? The race is really the Christian walk. It's the Christian journey. Now, he's referring to it as a race because we understand that Paul, he would see things where he was that, that would give him ideas to, to use uh, in, in his writing. So, for example, you know, coming from a Hellenistic Greek background and he was familiar with the Olympiad and, 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 and the, the way that they would train and they would prepare for their races, um, you know, he, he would use that 
And that's what he's doing here to give us an example. So he calls this thing a race. But it's really not the Christian run, is it? It's the Christian walk. But this is the thing about the race. Every race, even every walk, has a beginning and has an end. It has a start and it has a finish. The start of the race happened or the start of the walk happened, right? Because, hey, you can have a walking race too, right? They do power walking in the Olympics now. The start of the race happens the moment you give your life to Jesus. That's when the race starts. What is the end of that race though that we need to run with endurance? The end of that race that is set before us, the end of it is eternal life. And think of it like this. We have three, three phases really of the Christian journey. We have justification, we have sanctification, and we have glorification. Justification, the Bible says, happens instantaneously. It's the moment, the moment that we accept Jesus as our Savior, the moment that, that we recognize that we are sinners, that we repent, and, and we let him into our hearts. At that moment, the Bible says we are justified. That's the beginning of the race. Glorification, that beautiful moment that I cannot wait for when we will finally be perfect. That's when perfection happens. At glorification, when Jesus takes away our sinful nature, when our corrupt body, our corrupt mind becomes incorruptible and we are prepared to go to heaven. The Bible says that happens in the twinkling of an eye, straight away. That's the end of the race. What about the race itself? That's what we understand as sanctification. Ellen White tells us that sanctification is a daily work that will go on the rest of our lives. It never stops. We never get to a point in our life where we say, I've made it. I am sanctified. I am without sin. I am perfected. No, that happens when Jesus comes back and glorifies us. Sanctification, she says, is the work, an ongoing daily work for the rest of our lives. That is the race. And Paul says that there are a couple of things that we need to do to be able to run this race with endurance. The first thing he says we need to do is lay aside every weight. Now, what is a weight? A weight is not necessarily a bad thing, but it can become a bad thing when it takes priority over Christ in our life. For example, you know, a career is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. But when our career becomes our number one priority, where it causes us to even not live according to the calling that has been placed on us. You know, we may cheat and lie and scheme our way up the corporate ladder. Or we may prioritize work so much that we start working on Sabbath in order to get ahead. Or work just becomes a priority for us that we neglect our family. That then becomes a weight. And we cannot run our race with endurance when we are carrying weights like that careers, sports, educations, so many things that they're not bad things in and of themselves. But when they take the number one place in our life, they do become bad things. And, and Paul says we need to lay aside every weight. The second thing Paul says is really challenging. He says, and the sin which so easily ensnares us. It's that sin that keeps creeping back into our lives. That sin that we're constantly praying for God to give us victory over. And many times we do experience victory over. But then at the worst possible time, it seems to creep right back up and, and just get us again. 
And Paul says we need to lay aside those things. And so when we look at verse 1 and we say, all right, we have this race. We need to run it. We need to do it with endurance. And if we're carrying the weight and the sins, it's going to bog us down and we won't be able to do this. We need to let it go. If we just leave it there, it looks almost impossible for us. Because to be honest, if I just think about it just like that in that context, I, I have no power to let go of this sin. You see what I'm saying? I have no ability to let go of the weights. These things are stronger than I am. That's why I love that verse 2 is there. And this is ultimately what we need to always do. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run this race with endurance that is set before us. How do we do that? Paul says, verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand throne of God. The way that we are able to run this race with endurance, the way that we are able to get through the spiritual and Christian journey is by keeping our eyes fixed and focused on Christ. In other words, stay connected to Jesus because without Him, without His power, without His authority, we are not able to do these things. It is impossible. So, Let's go back to that story, sorry, in Matthew 4. Um, and I just want to finish with that last verse there in verse 21 and 22. After he had told them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Going on from there, verse 21, it says, He saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. What does this imply? It implies that they did Two things, three things. Let's say three things. One, they trusted and believed in Jesus. Two, they surrendered their hearts to Jesus. And three, they made a commitment to live out the calling that he had placed on their lives. But they weren't able to do that without surrendering. And surrendering wasn't possible without first believing and trusting in Jesus. So I want to ask you today, church, do you believe and trust in Jesus? Maybe that's the first step you really need to take. Maybe you really need to make that step first, where you need to really believe and trust Him with all your heart. Once you believe and trust with all your heart, you are then ready to surrender. Are you ready this morning, church, to surrender your heart to Christ? And if you're ready to surrender your heart to Christ, I need to ask you, are you ready to make the commitment to live out the calling that God has placed on your life, doing so knowing that it is Him that's going to do it through you, that all you need to do is to make the decision to open your heart to Him, let Him in and follow Him and let Him work in you so that He can reveal His power, His authority, and His amazing plan that He has for you. I pray and hope that this is the decision that you make this morning. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we are so grateful for Your Word. We are so grateful for these stories that really reveal to us so deeply, Father God, the essence of the Christian walk, the Christian journey, which is trusting You, believing in You, 
surrendering to you, committing to you, but doing all of this, understanding that none of this is possible in and out of ourselves. But this is the work that you want to do in and through us, Lord. All you ask us to do is to follow you. Some of us struggle with that because to follow you really and truly, it means to surrender and it means to commit. Lord, if there's someone listening this morning, I pray and ask, Lord God, if they're struggling with making that surrender and that commitment, I pray that you give them the strength and encouragement to do so right now. That they may truly follow you, Lord. And that as they follow you and as they abide in you, Lord, they will see you start to do through them what they have never been able to do this whole time on their own. Lord, everything that we have, everything that we do, everything that we can and will do is not possible without you. Help us to understand this, Lord, and to do everything that we can. Lord, some of us, we've been focusing too much on what we need to do. Lord, Help us to stop focusing on what we need to do with regards to the things that we're trying to do out of our own strength and help us to focus on what we really need to do, which is to follow you, surrender, commit, follow and give our hearts to you. This is all we can do. And Lord, we struggle with this and we ask for help. Please help us, Lord. We ask for this in your name. Amen. This message was made available by the Watara Seventh-day Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit waitarachurch.org.au. Mountain View Academy will now sing, I Will Follow Thee.
I'd like to share with you today, folks, is uh, entitled Stay With Me, and it is actually the lyrics of a song I wrote uh, some years ago. My name is William Ackland. Stay with me. Dear Lord, I pray that you will stay with me each day until you come again. Then I shall always be within your fold and live for you through joy or pain. Stay with me, Lord, stay with me, and take me through the days ahead. Stay with me, please, stay with me, until I see my Saviour's face. My God, I'm thankful for your mighty power, sustaining me through all the pain, and showing that your care provides each day until your kingdom comes again. Stay with me, Lord, stay with me, and take me through the days ahead. Stay with me, please, stay with me, until I see my Saviour's face. And now I sense you are so close to me, I'll never feel alone again. The path to heaven is now so clear I see, your arms enfold and comfort me. Stay with me, Lord. Stay with me and take me through the days ahead. Stay with me, please, stay with me until I see my Saviour's face. It's been a pleasure bringing you this program here on 3ABN Australia Radio.